Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. This is a special edition. It's it's <laughs> off our regular calendar, but we told our listeners and we told social media and everybody that would listen that we were going to have Superintendent Dr. Jason Camrus, former teacher of the year, and now he's running the administration at Richmond Public Schools. We'd have him on the show. Budget negotiations pushed us a little bit off schedule, but yes. I told him I think this is better because now <laughs> budget negotiations are done and we're able to get into some of the questions that we have, that I have, and then questions that the audience has, and we'll have a really good conversation. Dr. Cameras, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Second time. You yes, feel good? I'm you, very you're excited. Yes, up here? Yes. Uh, you know, I hope. <laughs> I hope eventually I get like seven times, then I get a special jacket or something. You know, I don't know. So I got, I've already gotten trouble. (laughs) The only thing when I think of jackets, I think of uh, the Masters in Tiger Woods. I've already like went on a tangent last last episode about my uh, lack of emotional connection to Tiger. Got it. However, it was just been recently. uh, It it was bought back up in the news because uh, he visited the White House earlier this week. I saw that, yeah, and got the Medal of Freedom of all things. That was something. was something <laughs> so my whole rant came back to me on social media and i was like hey look i stand by it i'm okay i'm okay but no welcome back to the show thank you thank you so we are now done with all of the budget negotiations i believe yes in, in regards to city council school board and the budget going forward correct? well uh mostly so the council has their consensus budget which they'll vote on may 13th right then it comes back to the school board, and then the board has to adopt its final budget. So there's probably just a little bit more, little more like but bureaucracy. But for most all of intents the and purposes, we're we're coming to the finish line. Now, for all case in point, yes. it seems as if RPS comes out as a winner. Yes, I don't know if it's a big winner, but oh, it comes no, out winner. as a winner of these negotiations. What are your thoughts on the budget as it kind of stands now in the process? And, and what were your thoughts kind of going through it? Yeah, we are, we're thrilled. Uh, this is a great budget for Richmond Public Schools. Um, $37 million, $18 million of that is operating dollars. So that's teacher raises and technology and all kinds of other great stuff for the running of our schools. And then $19 million for facilities, maintenance. So that is is huge. And those were the original numbers we asked for. Those were the numbers that the mayor put in his budget. And the city found a way to fund that without raising the property tax. They went ahead and looks like they're going to raise the cigarette tax. Um, You know, we're agnostic about how they do it. We're just grateful that they were able to fully fund it. So a couple things of clarification, which you've already said. It's the mayor's proposed budget that included, you know, a number of tax increases that we talked about. But the number for RPS is the same. Correct. You got the number even without any we of We got the number of. even without the property tax. That's right. The, s- the city made some cuts and did some other things to be able to afford it. And you mentioned the number for facilities. What you said it was, is it about? $19 million. Um, that's going to be, and just to be clear, that's not to build new buildings. Okay. That's for repairs. That's so repairs and maintenance. That's on right. Current. We're talking boilers and ACs and roofs and windows and that sort of thing. I'm going to jump to an audience question that we already have because sure. it just fits in exactly what you said just now. The idea of private philanthropy to help the maintenance of RPS public schools, is that something that can be done? Is there is there innovative ways that RPS could partner with either people with big pockets or you know corporations that want to do good for education? Is that an option or is that something that 
we haven't really explored. Well, look, we have a lot of great corporate partners here in right. Richmond, and we'll continue to work with them. I I'm really excited about having them help more on the instructional side, oh, um, okay. investments there. Also, I think, um, you know, while we obviously have a very uh, uh, supportive and generous uh, philanthropic sector, um, things like buildings typically are the responsibility of, of government and okay. the numbers are just really big. So uh, if there is a corporation out there that is excited to cut a $19 million check, not just this year, but for the next few years thereafter, because this is not a one year issue, um, I certainly welcome it. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to fall out of the sky. Sure. But there, there, so there are partnerships that RPS has, and there is ways, but probably more of those affect kind of the core instructional that's classroom right. instruction. That's right, yeah. Interesting. You mentioned something, and I, and I let it glaze past okay. originally, but I'm going to go back to <laughs> yes, it. Yes, please. Because you kind of mentioned you were kind of ag agnostic on possibly the cigarette tax or some of those no, things. No, no, no. What I, what I was yeah. just saying is um, I am grateful for the funding sure. no matter how the city figured it out. And that brings up a good point. Only yeah. because I know uh, you've been very vocal in regards to advocating for RPS yes. and are advocating for RPS funding. Yeah. And so um, that that is brings up a question in regards to several audience members and yeah. listeners and social media <laughs> um, have asked. And I also wanted to ask yourself, yeah. how do you view the role? Like you are more political than past uh, superintendent. Political is probably not the word, but you... In regards to the forms, you of your are not advocacy. the first person to have said that to me. Right. So, so how do you kind of view the role as superintendent? Is it operational? Is it one that's political that would include advocacy? Is it both? How do you kind of view that? Yeah, I view it as both. I mean, I think I have to be the. Um, it's really three things in my mind. Um, so one is um, at the most tactical level, the manager of the school system. Right? We have 4,000 employees, 24,000 kids, and there's a lot of things that we're trying to do. So that's number one. Number two is um, sort of the uh, uh, leader of sort of instructional vision and inspiration for the school division. And then three, I think, really is advocacy. We can't, um, I, I don't think um, I can sit idly by when I see some of the injustices that I see in our schools and to um, not use the position and, and power that I have been granted to advocate for our kids, I think is a missed opportunity. And I think it's my responsibility to do that for our students and our families and our teachers. How has that, because it is kind of new for Richmond, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's how, very new. How do you kind of feel that that's being received in regards to the coordination between parents, school board, you know what I mean, administrators? How, how does that work for you? How, yeah, how do you I, find that balance? Yeah, it is tough because, you know, I know not everyone, um, not everyone um, wants that out of well, a superintendent. Well, change is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, change is hard. So, um, I, and I understand that, and I know this is something that is, is new for superintendents here in Richmond, um, but I have also heard from lots of folks who um, are, are appreciative of the advocacy, um, who are excited to have me out there marching, who are excited to have me out on social media pushing for these issues, um, because for a lot of our kids and families and teachers, they have felt for a long time 
that um, they don't have much of a voice. And so um, I do see it as, as my responsibility to do everything I can for our kids. And that's more than just getting a good curriculum and buying more buses. That's pushing the whole conversation about education and equity and justice in the city. I do want to ask you about style from a from a almost a historical perspective sure. because you were in Washington D.C. when it was almost felt like a, you know a regime change in regards <laughs> to the education system, right? Yeah. Those experience kind of how, what did you learn from those experiences in D.C. with that team, and and what have you learned and what has changed in regards to your style and approach in regards to Richmond? Um, from not not knowing kind of the full story, I can already tell that your pro- you 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 probably picked up some things in regards to communicating on the ground with parents sure. and those things, and and I and I see it. I, I I see, you know, the approach, or I believe I see the style that you use is is actually pretty significantly different from, you know, what happened. You know, the, the experience you had in DC. What did you learn from that, and, and how did you bring that? difference or what you learn from it to Richmond? Yeah, no, I think it is really different. I do think I learned a, a lot from watching um, leaders in D.C. And I think I think initially in D.C., um, a lot of the work in the school system um, was, it, I think it felt to a lot of families and to teachers that, that change was being done to them and not with them. And so I have tried really, really hard to spend a lot of time in the community, in our schools, talking with folks, getting lots of feedback. Um, I think the strategic plan is, is a good example of this. That really is not my plan. I know the newspaper keeps referring to it as my plan. <laughs> but, but if I just sat down at a table on day one of taking this job and wrote a strategic plan, I'm, I'm sure I would have written something somewhat different. Um, not because I think I have better ideas, but because uh, we took the time to really listen to the community. 170 meetings, 3,000 people. And so I feel very um, passionate about you got to do this work with families, community, teachers, and so on. Um, that doesn't mean you... Um, can't be uh, urgent in the work. I think we do need to be urgent, but um, we have to do it together. And something else you may have inherited, and I ask everyone this yeah. that I get a chance to, is you, the education compact. Was that yeah. that is something that was kind of starting to be established when you came in, yes. right? From your perspective, the communication between the school board, city council, the mayor's administration the goal of the education compact was for all of us kind of to work together in a more harmonious way. Yeah. Is it working? Has it worked or does it need to be changed a bit? Well, I'd say it is, uh, it is a work in progress. Um, I do think it is much better that we have the education compact than not have it. I think it's, it's great that we have this quarterly touch point where we bring together the council, the school board, the mayor, myself, um, to, kind of talk through these issues um, you know I, I'm I, I would like to think that part of the result of the education compact is where we are today with this budget mm-hmm. with um, a significant increase you know this is the biggest increase in, in, in a generation for Richmond Public Schools so I do think it is an it is never a bad thing to get people together in a room and talk 
Um, if we, the adults, can work out our issues, uh, it's always better for kids. So it's a work in progress. We need everybody to come every time to the Education Compact meetings and to really dig into the issues. You, you, um, you, oh, you're <laughs> smiling, but I, that you are not the first person that has said that. The, the attendance yeah. is... is I think it should be mandatory, but it, it seems to be optional, right? Certain people show, certain people don't. And I, I mean, I understand travel and things sure, like that, but sure. it really should be something that people attend. Yeah, and I, I you know, um, I, I'm I'm an optimist, so I'm hopeful that <laughs> that that the attendance will continue to improve, and and you know, I hope it continues to be a place where we can really work through things. The voice you are hearing is Dr. Jason Cameras. He is the superintendent of Richmond Public Schools. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Let's brag for a little bit because <laughs> okay. you have a. I mean, it's it's amazing an accomplishment, yeah. right? Uh, Mr. Robinson yes. has been named National Teacher of the Year, an, an honor that you've had, and, yeah. and probably can give him some pointers. Yeah. Um, but tell me the sense of pride, not only just for uh, Rodney Robinson, but for every teacher in RPS yeah. that one of their own could be named National Teacher of the Year. It's hard to describe. I mean, I am just so thrilled and so proud of Rodney. Um, I really cannot think of anybody better uh, to represent not just Richmond and Virginia, but the entire United States teaching profession. I've met a lot of teachers in my 25-year career in education, and I just think he is quintessentially um, perfect for this honor. Uh, you know, to see him with his students, which I have at Virgie Binford, is such a joy the love and passion that he brings to them and his commitment to equity and ensuring that kids who in his own words have made mistakes um he is there to give them a second chance and uh those young people are so much better off for having rodney in his life so um i i, I don't know i just I, I still feel like i'm on cloud nine um smiling just it, it's such an honor and thrill for us and I think all of the teachers in Richmond just have such a sense of pride in knowing, you know, this is a school system that has a lot of challenges and gets beat up quite a bit. And to kind of stand up and um, puff up your chest a little bit and say, hey, we've got the best teacher in the country, um, that's, that's really inspiring. I, I think so. I can express that more, even from a narrative standpoint, not just all the work that not only he does, but all of the RPS teachers do. I think oftentimes, too often in our media, they just feel like they're getting kicked on, kicked yeah. on, kicked on. Yeah. And to be able to have this achievement come out of RPS and be able to tell that story, I think it's a win for every RPS teacher at every level. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... it's uh, Again, I'm struggling to put into words. Sure. It's just so amazing. Now, I will tell you this fun <clears throat> fact. Yeah. Uh, Rodney Robinson's probably harder to book now than you are. <laughs> no, I know he is. Right? Because this whole thing kind of takes over your oh, life, yeah. right? In fact, uh, I wanted to celebrate him at the board meeting <laughs> last night. <laughs> and like, he's like, no, man, I'm, 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 out of, I'm out of town. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it is really... Uh, it's an extraordinary experience. Um, he has like a whole scheduling team now. Yeah, everything. it's like a yeah. whole thing oh, yeah, to get yeah. anything approved. Good luck. Book him for like February a, we'll, or something. Yeah, we'll see how it all goes. <laughs> um, but uh, let me ask this because we are talking about uh, some of the amazing teachers that we have at RPS. Um, and I want to change gears a little bit because there was a report that at least uh, at least 10 principals at RPS will be replaced. It's a probably the toughest job that any leader has or administrator has is to know 
when you have to transition, when you have yeah. to make a, a move for the betterment of RPS, if that's the will. How do you go about that process of, you know, I, you know, identifying principals or teachers that need to be replaced? And is there, you know, kind of a, a demerit system or a warning system, or is it just something where we have to make a call and that's the call we make? Well, there's uh, quite a bit that goes into that. And let me just first say, um, you know, we take those decisions extremely seriously. It is never easy for a school community to have a change in leadership. <clears throat> and so we want to be very cautious uh, when we do take that step. But we also know that one of the best ways to improve teacher retention, not to mention uh, student outcomes, is to have a leader that um, can inspire and motivate and support a staff and, and student body. As far as the process, um, we created, uh, when I came on board, uh, a role called principal director, which in essence is a role that supports and manages a cluster of principals. So we have four clusters, two at the elementary level, one middle and one high. And the principal directors, their job is to support um, and be in the buildings of their principals so that they know really what's going on. Many school systems have principal managers that sometimes oversee 30 or 40 schools, which is just sort of a crazy way to do things. You just really can't know what's happening. In RPS now, the ratio is about one to 10, and that means they can be in the buildings, know the teachers, know the principals, see what's going on, um, do co-observations, sit in on meetings, model, um, provide feedback, uh, connect them with supports, and so on. If a principal director feels that sufficient progress isn't being made, then a school leader would go on a performance improvement plan where key um, areas that need to be focused on would be identified and then uh, work would be done on that over the course of a few months. Um, and then an assessment is made. Is progress being made or are we not really seeing the progress that is necessary? And if that is the case, then um, that's when we sort of have to make the decision. Do we um, continue on and try for another year or do we make a change at this point? And you probably know this right offhand. I don't. How many principals are there in, in all of in RPS? Uh, 44 schools. Okay. Now we have some programs, so it gets a little bit complicated how sure. you count it, but that's about the number. And so kind of this level of turnover, um, is this something where you feel like, hey, if we get the right people in place um, for whatever reason, you know, th that number, is some, that stability, hopefully is something that will go down as we move forward. Yes, we would like to be in a position where there's stable leadership. Every organization, you're going to see 5 to 10% turnover just because of life. People sure. move out of town or whatever the case, they retire. Um, but, um, you know, we'd like to be in a more stable position. And this time of year is interesting. We were just talking about a little bit offline. We're going into graduation, and yes. then we go into summer. Yes. Most people think. <laughs> for like the most chill. Most, most people tell me it's like <laughs> yes, you want to be a teacher, you get the summers off. You know yeah. what I mean? But you've explained that as we go into graduation and as we go into the summer, this is one of your busiest times for yourself and your administration. Explain. Right. Explain why. That's right. Also, let me just say for teachers, um, you know, a lot of teachers spend. Yes, they, they take some time away over the summer, but some of them work. Um, and even if they're not necessarily uh, working in summer school or second job, a lot of teachers are spending time 
planning for the next year and getting ready and redoing lessons and going to conferences. So the summer can be pretty jam-packed for teachers as well. Mm -hmm. On the central office side, it is extremely busy. In fact, it's one of the busiest times of the year because we're closing out one year and then getting ready for the next. Mm -hmm. So that's hiring of teachers, that's um, preparing for new transportation routes, that's um, uh, preparing for new curricular resources. It's so many other things like that. And so this is a pretty intense time for us. It's, uh, you can kind of catch your breath in October once the school year has started and things are in motion. Talk to me, and we'll get you out of here. This has been great, but talk to me a little bit about new things, new innovation, visionary stuff in education that'll have a direct impact on your students, but just things that you may see that you're like, man, I really want to bring that to RPS, or I think that would be a game changer for us, because we always talk about like how things are, yeah. or what you know, yeah. but I think there's so many things in education that our kids should be really getting excited excited about. Absolutely. And, and what are some of the things that you kind of identify and say, man, that's that's yeah. the, the new wave? Well, I appreciate the question, because so much of our time right now in RPS is dealing with kind of putting our house in order, mm -hmm. fixing basic systems. And that's so important because you can't really build, you know, a beautiful house on a cracking foundation. Sure. You got to get the basics right. And we know we still have a lot more of the basics to get right. But where we're going is really exciting. I've, I've talked about this is a, a piece of our strategic plan. One of the things in there is really exciting, rich, rigorous um, theme based high schools. So think like country's best STEM, science, technology, um, engineering, and math, where um, kids are taking uh, advanced courses in mathematics and science, but also having internships with engineering firms and with MCV and all the other scientific institutions in town, um, where we are doing opportunities for kids over the summer to expand their learning, um, really blurring the line between high school and college and work. Uh, so that kids are really being prepared for college and career. We've also talked about launching the city's first performing arts high school, where we leverage all the arts institutions in town. Um, you know, rather than kids having to go to Petersburg and go to Appomattox, Appomattox we should yep. have a world-class arts high school here in town. Um, I think we should also have a world-class CTE center where we are training kids um, who want to go straight into the workforce, into green jobs, high-tech jobs that pay a good middle-class wage, um, and then linkages with uh, higher education thereafter. I think that is something that's really exciting and we've heard a lot from the community that folks would like. So that's where we're headed. We got to get more of the foundation right first, um, but I'm confident soon we'll be able to begin to take steps in that direction. We, as you can imagine, we've had a number of audience questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many. You by far, you are. I told, uh, I told the mayor this every once in a while. I was like, you get a lot of questions, but I think Jason gets <laughs> even more when we ask like the internet and uh, social media yeah. what to ask you. So I can't pick them all. Okay. I do want to pick one. Sure. Because I like, I don't want to say it had to be three or four years ago. I sat. Um, with some leaders over at the Sacred Heart Center and they were always telling me about their students especially dual language students first generation uh, students and the challenges uh, in regards to even you know, you know English or second language students Sure. one of the questions that we had was that there is currently a dual language program I believe it's in Fox Elementary School that's based on a lottery system 
um, things like that. And, and it seems like for those 25 students that get in, it's, a, it's an awesome program. Sure. Uh, but things like that, how do we expand like programs for our growing Latino population in Richmond Public Schools? Yeah, and that is a real big piece of our plans, dreams for RPS. Um, and I think there's a lot of different components to it. One is we just need more uh, folks on the ground who can support kids who are uh, recent immigrants who don't speak English as mm -hmm. their first language. So that is things like more ESL teachers, but it's also things like more bilingual staff who can converse with our families when they come to school. We have a lot of families on the south side they come to school and there's nobody there who speaks no, Spanish. Right. So imagine sure. how that would feel to you. Y you would be, um, I would be, I'll speak for myself, sure. angry, frustrated, discouraged, discouraged. Yeah. And that's, I believe, one of the reasons we have a 74% dropout rate for our English language learner students. Mm -hmm. Three out of every four kids. It's not just the language barrier, though. Um, we have a lot of young people coming. Uh, from Central America who in their home country uh, maybe they only had a third grade education they show up they're in ninth grade we enroll them at George with and we say good luck and so not only do they not speak English but they haven't had a lot of the schooling they need um, to be prepared sure. and let me be clear our teachers are working really hard to support these kids but they're working within a system that was not designed to help kids who recently immigrated, who don't speak English, be successful. Sure. And so we need to create a different way to educate those young people. And that's why one of the pieces in the plan is to create almost like a, a newcomer academy that is specifically designed just for the young people who are in that situation. And so a lot of it is just uh, uh, some basics, but a lot of it is thinking differently about how we support young people uh, in that situation. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you, Dr. Cameras, for your time. This wasn't that bad, right? No, Number no. two, we'll, we'll I, have to do it again. I, I'm serious. <laughs> I will do your show anytime. I love it. We'll it's have to a good do it again. I, uh, you can always... <laughs> we talked about this last time. I, I want to clarify. You actually tweet yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, your yeah. tweets are your it's own. Me, you man. take full credit for it. <laughs> where me. can people good, follow... Good, bad, and ugly. Where can people <laughs> follow you? I know Twitter's one, but yeah. there are places where you can they can follow you. And I know, you know, I get... I hear... I don't have a child in RPS. Yeah. But I hear about these infamous infamous newsletters oh, yeah. that are like <laughs> apparently you all you have you have the time to lay out just about everything oh in your gosh. newsletters. Well, so. the truth is, <laughs> so anybody who wants to get the newsletter can get it. Just go on the website, okay, and go to the superintendent tab. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jason Cameras, uh, now Instagram and Facebook. Um, and the reason I write those letters. Uh, much to the chagrin of my two sons who are seven and nine who are right and they're RPS students they're right? RPS students yeah, yeah. and like the nine-year-old loves playing basketball and we got a hoop and he's like dad come on let's go play and I'm like I gotta finish writing my RPS direct so <laughs> uh, this is how important I, I, I feel it is because oh, I want folks funny. to know what's going on I think communication is really important and uh, I have heard out in the community that folks appreciate knowing what's going on, what I'm thinking about, um, what's coming up, trying to explain things that are happening. So it's 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 really important to me. We'll have to leave it there. Until okay. next time, Dr. Cameras, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.